Hey everyone, before we get into tonight's episode, which is episode 100, I wanted to just give a quick thanks to everyone who's helped me get this far and everyone who's supported me along the way. And uh, of course, the you know, it's we've made it to episode 100 and that really goes um, kind of hand in hand with everybody's support. And a lot of you have supported me since the beginning and a lot of you I've made friends with along the way. And uh, this thing has grown to a point where it's um, really a lot more than I ever would have expected it when I started off in episode one and two. So I just want to thank everybody. Uh, first, I want to start off with the patrons. I want to thank, first of all, the, my new pa- my newest patron, Patrick. Thank you for your support. I'd also like to thank Ricardo, Cody, Nick, Rob, Brooke, Justin, and Sharif. Thank you for your patronage. It goes a long way, and it's greatly appreciated. I'd also like to thank everyone who gave the five-star reviews. Kyle, Anthony, K5MOW, Lenyador123, Emmanuel7079, Don Dickens, Frogboy, Edison Sagini, Brett844, Animal Audrey, This Name Works333, DHY33, Cole1818-2188, It's Not Anorexia, Akon06, Kirk from Cali, Sometime, uh, Sometimes Things Happen Sometimes, GA Herper77, John K6565, Frog Girl97, and T Anderson56. And uh, these were all people who left uh, nice comments. To everybody else out there who left five-star reviews, who wanted to be anonymous, I thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Those five-star reviews help get the show to where it is today, help to get it out to a wider audience, and that's greatly appreciated. Next, I want to thank uh, Bill Rodman and In-Situ Ecosystems for sponsoring the show. Uh, I've recently become an affiliate with In-Situ. I want to thank Bill for giving me that opportunity. And, uh, of course, I encourage you all to follow the links in the show description if you want to get a great discount on quality vivariums, is 10% off in-situ uh, in ecosystems vivariums. you find that in the link tree. I'd also like to thank my fellow podcasters out there for giving me a lot of inspiration and as well as doing some really fun collaborations with me. Uh, I'd like to thank Dylan Perrin, Bill Strand, Richard Stewart, uh, Fadi from Davy's Roundtable, and uh, also honorable mention to Justin Smith. Um, Justin and I haven't quite gotten to do a collab yet, but we're going to do one in the near future. And uh, as well as a lot of other podcasters out there who have also inspired me who aren't really in the whole animal world. But um, thanks, everyone, for doing collaborations with me. And uh, it's always fun doing work with you guys. And uh, I'd also like to thank my guests. I'd like to thank Travis from TCS, Brianne Ross, Alex Menke, Mark Mandika. Uh, Special thanks to Mark because Mark was really instrumental in helping me get a lot of the scientific guests that I get on the show. I'd also like to thank Pat Klein. Julio Rodriguez, Mike Novi, Troy Goldberg, Nick Gordon, Josh Allen, Devin Edmonds, Keith Tannis, Nick Stacy, Joe Smith, Josh Coppola, Stefania Facci, Jeremy Feinberg, Andrew Logan, Kathy Warmald, Jay Summers, Susan Marquat, Dean Jansen, Julia Molnar, Marco Horb, Mike Titula, Rachel Schindler, Zach Goodnow, Mason Kleist, Jake Kirby, Tegan McMahon, uh, Jack from... Um, Jack, I never, I never could pronounce your name, but um, Jack's World of Wildlife. Uh, Zach Hare, Matt Gray, uh, Nick Gamble, Caroline Loader, Audrey of Urban, uh, Urban Amphibia, uh, Michael Mani, Anthony Pierleoni, Juan Santos, Justin Dubois, Matt Dugas, Ann Fallon, Brandon Willis, Laura Abraham, Phil Goss, Mike Lardis, Sam Sucre, Jason Hoverman, Robert Villa, Kate McCusker, Kathleen Higgins, Taryn from Dart Frog Connection, David Blackburn, Edgardo Griffith, Nick Zappa, uh, Ryan McVeigh, and Cloud of Cloudberry's Exotic Sanctuary. So 
all of you who have been guests on the show, thank you for taking the time to support me. It's been a real pleasure having you all on the show, and I get, wanted to thank everybody. I know it's been a bit of a long thanks, but I want to give everybody a thanks for all the support, and uh, it goes a long way, and uh, I have some pretty cool stuff coming up in the future, which I hope everybody's going to look forward to. I am going to take a short break. I have never done this before, but I'm going to take a week or two to kind of uh, catch up on a few things. It's the summer here. I'd like to get in a little free time. It's been 100 episodes and I haven't really taken any time off from the podcast. So uh, if I'm if I'm out for a week or two, uh, I want to encourage everyone to catch up on some of the older episodes. There's a lot of stuff out there that uh, is you know really in the beginning. And uh, I'd like you guys to check some of that out if you haven't got a chance to listen to some of the earlier episodes. But um, I've already got newer episodes recorded. They'll be coming out soon. Uh, I just wanted to take a chance just to kind of, uh, kind of kick back and relax for a little bit, take a little break and uh, focus on what I want to do for, you know, hopefully the next 100 episodes. So uh, that goes without saying. And, of course, I want to thank all the listeners. I interact with you guys from time to time on Instagram, and uh, some of you I've gotten to become friendly with, and it's nice bouncing ideas off of each other's heads. And, uh, you know, just thanks. Look, I'm, I'm a regular guy, you know, same as you people. You know, I'm just a regular guy who likes keeping frogs and, uh, it's real, real gratifying knowing that so many of you have, uh, you know, reached out and you guys are interested and passionate about the subject as I am. So, uh, again, thanks to all the listeners, but, um, you know, all that aside, again, just thanks to everyone. Bottom of my heart. It's episode hundred. I've been looking for this for a long time and, uh, I've got a great guest, uh, who some of you guys know who it is, but we're going to get to it in a few minutes, but, um, yeah. So thanks everyone. We made it episode 100. We're going to have more coming up soon. Just wanted to get this out there real quick before I started. And, um, of course, just, you know, everyone who supported the show, thanks a lot. Everyone who's interested in supporting the show, click on the link tree in the show description. That'll take you to everything you need. So other than that, let's get to it. You're listening to Amphibicast. All right, so here we are, episode 100. And if you haven't figured it out by now, my guest is the man himself, the one and only Troy Goldberg. What's what's up, Troy? Hey, what's going on, Dan? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So tonight's episode, we're, we're gonna I, we're gonna kind of focus on large obligates, but. Um, I mean, to be honest, this is going to be kind of a laid-back show, so um, for everybody listening, we're going to kind of focus on large obligates, but we're going to get into some other stuff, too, and um, we, we might have a few laughs and go off topic, but um, it is what it is. So, Troy, why don't you catch us up? It's been a while since you and I spoke on the show. What have you been up to recently, like within the past few months? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Um, Pretty much, I've, I've had a couple of things uh, kind of, I guess redirect my <laughs> goals and what I was planning to do last year, which um, you know I, I purchased glass to build another large vivarium, another 300 gallon, and I had a buddy ask me about rack systems, and you know I was telling him like you know I use these target racks and I just kind of make you know put these light shields and kind of ghetto rig it to make it look somewhat you know decent um and i was like but you know there's these really cool racks um that the europeans use and they're like aluminum square rods and there's like little connectors and you can customize them to fit your tanks pretty much you know within an eighth of an inch and he's like oh that sounds cool i was like they're very cool 
Um, they have like light shields built in and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, then I told him, I was like, but they are rather expensive. He's like, what are we talking? I was like, well, the target racks are about uh, 80 bucks for a four foot rack and the custom Euro rack for a, for a four foot rack, you know, but it could hold six tanks because you can make it three rows tall, whatever. Uh, but yeah, for four feet is, is around 500 bucks. And he's like, oh, well, that's quite a difference. Um, and, you know, I was like, but, you know, let me, uh, let me work up some measurements for you and see. And so when I was doing that, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should do that too. <laughs> so, so I had no plans at all to redo my entire rack system, but just him asking that question got my mind going. And I had been wanting to, you know, cause my room, the, the rack system was, was maxed out at, um, I think 24 tanks before. And I'd been wanting to add like a second pair of Azurius, a second pair of Lamani. There was a couple of things I wanted to add a second pair of. And, um, I said, you know what, I could redesign these racks and make them three tanks tall rather than two. Um, and I'm a tall guy, so it's it's okay. It's not ideal, but um, it, it is a way for me to, to pack in some more frogs um, and make everything more uniform as well, because I still do have two of the tanks from uh, Bill Rodman from in situ. Um, and they don't really go with the room, and they don't, they're not on my rack system. They're just kind of on this table in the back. So I do plan on you know, putting the frogs that are in those tanks into some new ones that go with my tanks. And I'll probably end up, um, you know, I don't know, making like a giveaway or something or sell them. I don't know what I'll do with those yet. But so, yeah, that that's what I've been doing um, slowly but surely. I just ordered the final wall of 12 tanks. I just ordered the racking system for that yesterday. Um, and um, I built four of the nine tanks that I needed to build. I still have the five larger tanks I need to build. So that whole thing there kind of redirected my uh, goals for the, the newer big tank I was going to build. So that's completely on the back burner. Um, so that's what I've been doing in the frog room. Uh, other than that, um, I added some species, I think, since last time we talked. Well, we talked in, what, like September or something? Maybe August. I can't. Remember. I don't. I don't remember. It was. It's. I mean, you, you and I kind of talk like off air like all the time, anyway. So I, I totally true. forgot. Um, I it was. Really. It was. I think it was six months. Usually, it's like every six months. Um, okay. I have somebody back on, but you know, it's funny that you mentioned the rack because I, I, I didn't even think about bringing that up tonight. But that's a that's actually a good topic. I'm <laughs> curious about the the dimensions of it because I, I saw one or two of the videos, but. If you have a standard size tank, meaning let's just say you have a, a standard size 36 by 36 by 18 or whatever, how's yeah. it going to fit in these racks as opposed to like the baker's racks at Target's? Because I know with those, you kind of have yep. to make a custom size tank to fit those dimensions because the legs on either side of the rack take up a lot of space. How right. does that work out if, you, if you're not building your own tanks? So, so with these, with, you, could, you could have the same exact look that I have with my custom tanks with exoterras with 18 by 18 by 24s or 18 by 18 by 18 36 by so it's not like i don't know if you've ever been on to esto connectors website um and i don't know if you mind me dropping that name in there i don't get anything for it they don't even know who i am but um, um i uh i plug their their product all the time because that's just who i used and a lot of people asked but um so it's it's not like you order a rack um you you're ordering square tube and you tell them how many you want of 
say so basically to make sense of it if you've got a 36 inch tank the tank is resting on two bars or three bars however you want to do it but basically you would order a 36 and an eighth or a 36 and a quarter inch um tube and you order three tubes and then if the tank was 18 inches deep uh basically you would make the front to back like the depth of it uh you have square rods that are one inch in the front and the back and then the actual separating tube um so 18 so you'd make, be making it like 16 inches um the side tubes don't do anything as far as support for the tank they're literally just structural for the actual rack itself um like the the first rack i built the tanks are sitting solely on a front bar or front tube and a rear tube and that's it there's no support in the middle but they're only 22 inches wide by 17 inches deep so there's not a whole lot of stress and being that all my tanks are drilled um there's never a bunch of weight you know water drains out automatically i make they may have an inch or two of water in the bottom at most um so they're not there's not a whole lot of stress there um the bigger tanks i did the 44 inch wide tanks those ones i did put a third bar so there's a front a rear and then a middle bar that it rests on but so basically that's probably a really confusing way of answering um but basically if you have a 36 inch tank you you can make the rack whatever size you want it's not like you're there, there's i guess there's no limitations um so if you have a 24 inch tank you can make that window basically where you're going to be looking at the tank 24 and a quarter you have an eighth of an inch on each side just for some clearance um and then the height if it's 24 i would make it 24 and a quarter um or t- sorry 24 and an eighth just because you only have the the gap at the top um so any tank any you could have 10 gallons and you could make it look completely custom everything could look completely custom um it does not matter the size of tank so in my situation i have a bunch of custom tanks that were made to fit the standard you know uh i forget what they call them bakers or cookie racks that's what all my tanks were made to fit um so now i just have a custom rack with custom tanks but like i said it's to do the custom rack, you do not have to have custom-sized tanks. I don't know if everyone knows that, but because um, you're literally, like my order yesterday was like, I don't know, 107, like, a, I don't know, like 140 pieces of tube, and then there was like 87 connectors. So there's no rack. You know, you, it, it all comes in, and you have to, it, it's kind of, um, it's not the easiest thing to do, I guess I should say. Like, I always draw it out and, you know, I draw my connectors and draw, you know, you have to make sense of it. Like, I draw it from a profile so I know how many pieces on this, this each side and then the front and the back. Basically, I'm drawing all that out and coming up with the dimensions to see how many, how many of this size I need, how many of that size I need, and then how many connectors and what kind of connectors, all that stuff. It's, I've gotten used to it. Um, you know, because I've ordered, this is like four separate times I've ordered, so I've kind of gotten a feel for how they go together. But the first time when I was doing the first rack, I mean, I was drawing and writing down numbers and for a good four to five hours, <laughs> just like sitting there one night, like, how in the heck do I do this? But then, I don't know, it just kind of clicks and it makes sense. And then I also kind of have the mentality to just like be like, whatever, whatever, dude, I'm ordering this and we're going to see how it goes. So. You know, I'll see if it worked. And I ordered everything and it fit together. And 
Um, yeah, so I did a good job. Now, I have had a couple times I've ordered since then where I messed up something. Um, usually in the the way I order it, because they, they say number of pieces and then the lengths, like so how long or how short it needs to be. And I've mixed those two up before where I got like, so say I needed five piece or six pieces that were 20, 26 inches wide. Um, I got 26 pieces that were four inches wide. <laughs> so uh, the complete opposite. I just, it's it's easy to mess up. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, the people from Esto are, are really cool. And um, yeah, they worked with me on sending the old stuff back. I didn't get a full refund, but partial. That's an honest, <laughs> it's an honest mistake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it happens. Is it this happens. Uh, what is this? Is this made out of aluminum or like what, what yes. kind of? It is okay. Can you cut yeah. it yourself? Like, let's just say for argument's sake that you, you know, you have you probably, like, can you cut yeah. it with a hacksaw or like if you needed to make a, like a quick, you know, if you had to change it on site? I'm I'm sure you can cut it. They come laser cut. They cut them with a laser, um, so it's super precise and super clean. Um, but. I'm sure you could cut it with like a hacksaw or some sort of saw. I'm not super privy on uh, on cutting metal, so I don't exactly know. But but I'm sure you could. It's just like it's just a standard square aluminum rod, um, and I get the powder coated black. You can get um, like a lot of the Europeans they use the. It's a clear powder coat, so it looks silver. Like the rack looks silver, and the connectors are usually black. Um, but I did for like a more clean look the, the black aluminum with the black connectors and um then i just ordered these like um, black abs plastic sheets and they kind of you know in in the rack itself part of the aluminum rod you buy there's it's called a single channel or a double flange um piece of rod and basically there's like a about a quarter inch piece of channel that sticks up and you can you can put in something to block the light they're the light shield so um and i do them like two pieces uh i forget what my buddy trey calls it. he called it like uh bifold or buy something and i was but i forget but i was just like whatever dude i just say it's two pieces <laughs> so um yeah it's just two pieces of black abs plastic i cut the size and they fit in this channel and completely block out the light and if you need to get access to the light or the misting system or the drainage or anything if you need to get access to it you just slide it over like basically like the sliding doors on the on the tanks. Um, now, my hands and arms are aren't very wiry, so it, yeah, I wish I would have made the the space in between the each shelf like four inches rather than three because the three inches is a little tight. I can fit my hand back there, um, but I I did recently invest in some uh, those things those really old people use little grabbers. <laughs> so i can so i can grab stuff if i need to um because yeah my uh my fat hands and arms don't don't want to really get back there so well do you know how handy those things are i have like three of them and it's <laughs> they come in handy for so many like it like i got i got a bad back so yep. you know like everyone in my house drinks like poland spring water bottles and yep. i find these water bottles on the floor and it's like oh man it's like, i don't want to bend over to pick these things up and i'm like no yeah now i'm like i'm 85 <laughs> years old but they, they do come in handy i mean it's honestly a good tool to have around like i have a I have a snake hook for the snakes yeah but i just use that to kind of just like hey i'm here i don't actually really pick them up with it yeah but like the grabber is good if you have to like like if one of them's being a little bit like testy 
and you want to just put something between yourself. Like I, I don't grab them with it, but it's like, if I'm going to, I don't want to get, look, I've been bitten by blood pythons before and, and they hit you like a hammer. So sometimes just having that little like, hey, you know, just give you a little tap with the grabber. And if, you know, you can kind of close it ever so slightly just to keep them from coming at you, bro. But um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, like, I don't know, there'd be stuff on the floor in the frog room, like a, a receipt or a piece of paper, sometimes for like days. And I just I'd keep walking over it and never pick it up. And if I wasn't like cleaning, I would just like whatever. But now with the grabber, it's like I, I look for stuff for stuff to pick up. I'm like, oh, this is fun. It like makes it makes it almost like uh, one of those grabber games that little kids play for stuffed animals. I, <laughs> I have fun grabbing stuff off the floor with it. Um, but yeah, so I did have to invest in that to uh, to get in between the the shelves sometimes. Um, but but yeah, uh, you know, I, I really really do. Uh, I've always wanted the these racks these european style racks um but with the you know the price tag on them and where my collection was at the time it just wasn't uh wasn't at wasn't on the front burner we'll say um there was a lot of frogs that i wanted to get and get the collection you know where i wanted it um and then you know last year you know there's still a couple frogs i want um but you know i was like you know maybe it's time so I'm glad I made the switch though. It is, it just looks, um, and not to say that my old style stuff looked bad. Um, it looked pretty decent in photos or in videos. You're not actually seeing it, but like when you're in person, it's kind of, it was kind of sloppy. Um, it's just like a fabric that I was using for the light shield and spider webs and all kinds of stuff, mites or whatever would crawl on it. And if you try to vacuum it, like I just had them zip tied to the, it tears it's like almost like a foam fabric it's a weird it's like the shelf liner that's what it is is the shelf liner and it's like a foam material and you know i'd use the zip ties to to keep it secure to the rack but if i like tried to vacuum it the vacuum it would stick to the vacuum and if i moved the vacuum too hard it ripped and i was like oh god i gotta cut a new piece um and it, it was just like it got dirty really easily and you couldn't really clean it you know it was it was um i don't know i guess like a band-aid is basically the way I'd explain it. But this is more of a uh, a much more professional look and just neat. Um, like, I mean, some of the Europeans, like um, my friend uh, Tail and um, Bram from the Netherlands, I mean, he's got it like in his living room with this kind of, and it, and it looks like really nice. It's not like, you know, someone who would have a, a, a rack from Target in their living room. Like, it doesn't look like a piece of furniture, you know what I mean? Where where these, um, they can. They can look really, really nice. So um, not to say that I don't think many uh, girlfriends and wives and, or just I'll just say significant others would like to have uh, a rack of, of frogs in their living room with fruit flies flying everywhere, crawling everywhere. Yeah, we've um, had that. We've had that conversation here several times and. <laughs> yeah I, so. I fought a good fight but you know <laughs> I, I got the basement you got your garage what what was the name of this company again because i know people are going to ask me what what was the name of it uh esto connectors e-s-t-o connectors and and i'll tell you the first time first few times i've ordered from them it was kind of a pain you know i would put everything in that i needed add it to the cart and then you basically 
had to send it off for a, a, a quote approval. And somebody would approve it and send you an email back. And then you'd have to basically kind of sign off on it and then call in with a credit card payment. And it was like kind of a, a pain to order. Like, not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm nitpicking here. But yesterday when I ordered, none of that. I just added the stuff to the cart, put in the credit card information, done. Um, so it seems like they've, I don't know if my, uh, the video that I put up with that has created some sort of influx on some, some sales for them. And they just decided if some, maybe somebody made a complaint about it and maybe they changed it or I don't know, maybe that's just me being a, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking I'm, I'm causing. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm on the website now and just, I mean, you're basically repurposing these to build racks. These aren't designed for animals. This is just something that it's, I mean, it's aluminum, which is kind of why I commend such a high price. Um, cause the way that this stuff is machined, like, I mean, I'm looking at it now and they yeah. make stuff for like, like robotics and display cases and things like that. So they're basically like a yes. custom aluminum shop. So I see what you yep. mean about like the average person. It, it's right. gonna, it's going to, it's going to be a challenge to really figure out what you need. But, yep, that's what that's yeah, that's exactly why in the video that I made, I kind of just laid everything out that you need. Honestly, all you're ordering is really for, for the actual tubes, you're just ordering square tubes, and then you're also ordering the double flange tube. And that's it, that's it as far as the, the tubes and then the connectors. It's just like, well, you have to think about how many how many points you know there's gonna be support. So it's either a three-way connector, four-way, five-way, six-way, whatever you need. Um, once you figure that out, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, but yeah, just going on the site, it's and there's like, I always just do the standard. Um, I think it's like a 0.60 um, thickness of the aluminum. I use whatever the thickest one is because there's one that's like a thinner wall, and you know I'm thinking, well, for support, I want the thickest wall I can get. Um, so I just use one inch, one inch standard um connectors and one inch standard uh tubes so you know yeah it's funny because a while back i found this this enclosure i i'm i'm looking i'm kind of on the computer right now i'm looking at um this is a euro cage reptile display that was for like store usage i think it was made by zoomed i mean i'm looking at it now it's very very similar it's the same kind of like i mean this thing has got like a couple of different um I think each tank is like 18 by 18 by 24. So it's not super big, but yep. the, the list price for this is almost like four grand. Oh yeah. But it looks yeah. so, it looks so uniform and symmetrical that it's just like, it's exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's the way of the future. Yep. It's the way, yeah, the, way of the future, uh, my friend. The one I ordered yesterday for 12 tanks, um, shipped and cut and everything, I think it was like around 1200 bucks. Um, so the price did seem to go up a bit, like everything else. Um, you know, I, I think the first, it's hard for me to judge though, because the first 12 tank rack I did only had support on the front and the back. It didn't have the middle bar. So um, it's definitely cheaper to go that route, obviously, because you're using less connectors and, and less tubes. But what I like about having the middle bar is that if I slide the tank out, like if I'm removing it or installing it, um once you you know you slide it back five six inches it's hitting that second bar so there's already a second a second plane for support 
where when you just have the front and the back, when I'm pulling that tank out, it's just resting on that front bar and it wants to, it wants to fall. It wants to like go back. And yeah, I, I actually have removed a couple tanks doing that on my first rack. I moved some stuff around and it was kind of a nightmare moving stuff in and out of there. So that's why I did the, um, the third bar for the support. Um, like I said, I, it's hard for me to judge the $1,200 as opposed to, I think the first one I built was like maybe nine, 900. So, and I'm sure prices have gone up since that first time I ordered in December. Um, like everything else in the world, everything's getting expensive, but, um, but I also think, you know, adding the bars and connectors definitely had something to do with the pricing as well. So, um, but you know, the, the other thing, the other reason I did the third bar for support is because like the way I have the current racks, the, the ones that I have up there, I'm able to secure those to the wall. They have a wall behind them. So I was able to secure them to studs. Um, so there's no rock or anything like that. But this one is going to be freestanding, the one I just ordered. There's no wall behind it. So I'm probably going to build actually some sort of faux wall, just, you know, just tap con some pieces of wood into the concrete floor and connect them to the adjacent wall just for some support. Um, but that that's another reason I, I did want to add the extra third bar of support and, you know, rigidity to the actual overall rack system and design. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had it long enough to really give a full assessment on, you know, if I hate it or love it. Um, so far, I'd say I love it. And um, if anyone's worried about support or Boeing, I have the 44-inch tanks. Or they're 44 by 17 by 24, so they're good-sized tanks. Um, and I've had them on the rack before that I had. Um, I've had them on since, like, March. And there's there's very very little sag if any i can't really see any but i didn't actually you know take a you know a caliper measure to see if there's like any sort of sagging it, everything looks completely straight um no bowing at all so i actually can see the bowing in the glass on the 44 inch wide tanks is that front piece of glass on top like the front lid basically is 44 inches wide and it's only six inches deep so it's and it's quarter inch glass. So there is some flex in that glass. And I can see that bowing and I can see the actual um the bars where you know it's resting on the tank is actually straight. So Yeah, aluminum is is pretty tough and it's light too, which is also nice. So Absolutely. It's not like you're working with um I guess like steel would be like what a lot of the baker's racks are, those like big like you know, those big racks you put in your garage to put like tools and stuff on. Yeah. I mean I have one of those that I have um Actually, I have I have all well not all of them. I have a few of my tanks set up on those, but it's it's such a pain you can't because you can't get two tanks in the bottom with the with the legs coming up. You know, you have that bottom yep. shelf. Yep. You know, I'm I'm curious. Let me get let me get your opinion on this because this is one of those things that comes up very very rarely, and mm -hmm. I'm always curious. Like people who use PVC enclosures that they would use for say like like lizards or snakes or whatever. I've heard about people putting dart frogs in those and setting them up, but I, I personally don't think it's a good idea. What, what, what do you think that would be within the realm of possibility? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm sure there's probably some way to do it where it's possible. Um, but, you know, just the overall longevity of it, 
Um, I can't really understand why someone would do that. Um, you know, I've got a good glass shop locally and, you know, my tanks, like the 22 inch by 17 by 24, if I want them with like a polished, really nice polished edge, I think they're around like 160 bucks. If I want it unpolished, it's 115 bucks. So it's like, I don't really see the need, you know, the only thing I can say PVC or any other material other than glass for, for dart frogs. The only thing I can see is like kind of like what in situ does. Um, there's, I think it's called like, uh, allium, alumite or something. It's, it's like, it's like a Trey bell actually used it on some time, but it makes them really light. So like, if you're trying, trying to cut, cut some pounds off the, uh, the overall weight of the enclosure, I could see that being like something maybe toss around the idea. Um, but you know, I, I don't understand. Like, it just seems like a nightmare because I don't know what adhesives bond to PVC actually bond to it. Um, I'm sure they could make a seal, but it's like, how long is that seal going to hold? Um, you know, where silicone bonds the glass, and I mean, that seal can hold for, you know, I've had some tanks that no leaking and I've had them for over 12 years. So it's like, you know, if you're using good, I don't use like uh, GE silicone. I think that stuff reeks um, for like way too long. It reeks for like months for me sometimes where the, uh, I use that, I think it's ASI, uh, aquarium grade silicone. It smells terrible when you're using it like that, that first hour or two. I mean, it's really, really intense smell, but it goes away after an hour or two and I never smell it again. I've never like, used that silicone on a background or in a tank and then the next day opened the tank and smelled silicone like i smell nothing but whenever i use that ge silicone one um i'll smell it for sometimes two months like i can i can still pick up sense of silicone so i typically don't like that stuff um so i always use the aquarium grade silicone that i know bonds with glass and you know even even someone like me in a garage where i don't really even need to worry if stuff's leaking like it's like i have a concrete floor underneath my you know my garbage foam floor but like i i still don't want them leaking it's just something you don't want to have to deal with um so i can in a house like i'd be absolutely terrified to to use a pvc enclosure in like in a in a bedroom or something like that i just like the the chances of it bowing are so great um where it's going to bow so much you're going to get you're going to get a leak and it's going to ruin a lot of time in your day <laughs> yeah um, I, so, yeah i see I, I, yeah go ahead oh sorry yeah i i just i see some of these i mean they're great for what they do like i have an animal plastics enclosure for one of the snakes and yeah. it's it's pvs it, it's got sliding glass like I, I i can't stand polycarbonate or any kind of plexiglass i, I don't like it I, it's garbage it scratches the animal gets it dirty and it's ruined i i really really specific about the glass but Agreed. i yeah. see a lot of these companies that they like oh it's great for dart frogs i'm like i don't know anybody who actually puts them in there and i know a lot of people who keep dart frogs but i, I yeah yeah i mean that the silicone they actually screw together believe it or not but you can run a bead of silicone around the bottom and it is actually fairly secure but i think the big problem would be like trying to scrape the surface clean if you've got like plants and whatnot growing in there or you wanted to like redo it You'd end right. up just like scratching the hell out of the PVC with, um, you know, with a knife or whatever it was that you were planning on breaking it down with. Exactly. Yeah, that's that would be. I mean, like I say, I'm sure it's possible, um, but 
usually my question for stuff like that is like, why though? Like, why are you trying so hard to use this? Like, is it just something you got for free that you really want to use? Um, I don't know how they're priced, you know, so maybe that has something to do with it. But like I said, if you can find a good glass shop that gets you a good deal, um, you know, you can build tanks yourself for, you know, usually somewhere around a hundred to 150 bucks for a custom sized, you know, I say the 22 by 17 by 24 is the most versatile size tank for dart frogs. You can put anything in it, any dart frog you can put in. Um, so I just think it's a very versatile size and it's like for, I don't know what Zoomat or Exoterra charge anymore, but it's got to be somewhere in that realm. And you don't have to do anything to the tank. You know, you're not, you don't have to build a custom top or you don't have to, um, you know, figure out fruit fly proofing and stuff like that. It's, you know, with the custom tanks, you can, you kind of do all that already when you're building it. So it's just like, it's kind of factored into your cost where, you know, if you buy a $130 or $140 exoterra and the screen top is complete garbage and will rust out you have to change it and do half glass half screen all that and you know that's adding to the price so it's probably around the same cost as a custom enclosure and the custom enclosures have far superior um passive ventilation than an exoterra or zoomed far better so you know it's just like yeah for the same cost you're getting a product that's definitely inferior to a custom custom size tank so yeah, and and just That's, for for full disclosure, like the the PVC enclosures that I have, they're, they're mm-hmm. not the animal plastics aren't super expensive, but the lead time the is like I waited like eight months for this case to arrive, but there's no way in hell fruit flies are staying in that thing because of the <laughs> because of the unless you made some serious modifications, but even the glass yeah. there's about probably like a sixteenth of an inch gap yep. between the two panes, and it would be it would end badly. But I don't sure. know. I don't know why. Yeah, generally I why though, I, I would. I would tell anybody that if someone just messaged me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a PVC enclosure. What do you think? My usual like scapegoat to just get out of the conversation is I've never tried it. I've never done it. I wouldn't do it. That's it. (laughs) I can't give you advice on something if I haven't actually done it, but I'm just saying I haven't done it. I wouldn't do it. Good luck. Like that's pretty much. And it's just because I, you know, I get a lot of silly messages sometimes like, I don't know if I talked about it on here before, but sometimes people from <laughs> someone from like Europe will message me and be like, Hey, where do I get dry lock in Europe? It's like, buddy, I'm in Ohio. Why would I know? Why would I know that? Like I would, I don't know where you can get dry lock. I don't live in Europe. I'm not in Germany, man. Um, you know, that, that's a question that's just so like, I would never ask a European, Hey, where do I get that product you use in Europe in the States? Like, why would they know that? Um, it's just that that's one of the questions that really gets under my skin. But I usually just say, I don't know. I don't live there. <laughs> that's my way of, of getting out of that one. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd stay away from the yeah. PVC enclosure. All right. There you have it, folks. It's shut down. That's it. Never. No, no, no. <laughs> Snake, snakes enclosures are for snakes. Frogs are for frogs. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I agree. It, it would be, it, it, it just, I don't see it being practical at all. But yeah. So, Here's my, my the, I guess we'll kind of give like the main discussion topic for tonight, yeah. large obligates. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, oh, can you do an, uh, you know, large obligates? And I said, oh, look, I don't really have a tremendous amount of experience keeping any obligates. I said, I've kept Promilio on and off. But as far as large obligates goes, I mean, there's a lot of different 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like there's, there's some nuances to like different species and even different locales. I mean, can you give us a run through of some of the species of large obligates that are in the trade that you've worked with and maybe kind of give us like a quick rundown of, of like the care and maybe some specifics to each one? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and first off, before I do that, I'm just going to say that, Dan, it's maybe it's time for you to get some experience with them. You know, quite a few, uh, quite a few breeders of, of large obligates, including myself, um, that would be willing to help you out. So, um, if that means yeah. free obligates, then sure. Hey, 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 this, <laughs> this isn't a charity. Hey, you got, <laughs> you got, you, you got rack money. You got money to send me obligates. Yeah. I, I, I have stuff to pay. Yeah. I want one of those. I want, uh, I want five bolt eyes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have I'll to mortgage, I can do. I'll mortgage my house. We'll see what I can do. Yeah. Hey, bullseyes have come, come down in price quite a bit from compared to when I got them. But, um, so, so yeah, I will give a rundown. Um, you know, there's, you know, you've got, uh, Ufaga histrionica. Um, that's where I'd say since Tesoro started bringing stuff in and I think it was like 2015, maybe possibly 2014. I can't exactly remember when they, the first import was, but, um, Histrionic are probably the most prevalent in the hobby as far as large obligates go currently. Um, cause there's, there's several, several color morphs, um, you know, and several locales, you know, you've got bullseye are pretty popular. Um, they look like the name says with a, you know, well, some do, <laughs> some have a nice, nice big bullseye on their back and some don't, they just have a solid color back like black um those ones don't seem to be flying off the shelves when they're available people seem to want that bullseye rightfully so um myself included but mine produce ones without spots all the time and it really drives me nuts um but uh and then the bullseye so there's there's multiple colors you know, you've got brown bullseye you've got red bullseye you've got orange yellow cream there, there's there's tons of just that color more and they're all separate locales in Colombia. Um, but so there's bullseye, then you've got um redheads, another pretty prevalent one in the hobby. Um, the small form, or some people call them the old line. Those were around before Tesoros was um importing or exporting frogs, I should say. So no one really knows if they're, you know, what kind of origins they are, if they're smuggled or not. I mean, they're old, so there are a lot of old stuff kind of has some questionable or origins from the 90s or 80s or early 2000s no one no way to really really know but um there is a significant amount of the redhead histrionica for the small form um are the old line or yeah, small forms what they call them. um tesoros does bring in the small form as well and they also started bringing in the large form redhead um which if people are confused by that it's not they just Oh, these ones are big. These ones are small. They're two completely separate locales. Um, very, very different habitats from one another. Uh, if if no one has seen the Redhead Histrionica DVD that Hardstone put out a few years ago, I strongly recommend everyone to pick that up. Um, I believe there's still some copies at uh, on Jeremy Mott's website, which is JL Exotics. Um, they have a Redhead, and they also have a Ufaga Lamani documentary. Those are two of my favorite. Uh, 4k dvds that i uh, will not ever i'll always have some form of a dvd player so i can watch those <laughs> even though 
they're kind of going by the wayside. But luckily, PS5s have PS4s and PS5s have the uh, the uh, Blu-ray player. So, um, so yeah, that's the large form and small form. Um, you've got Histrionic Katado. Um, there's Saddlebacks. There's red Saddlebacks. There's yellow Saddlebacks. You know, there's a lot of these locales um, and color morphs of the Histrionica. Um, you know, what's great about it is some, you know, there's blue histrionica. Some people really think that redheads are really ugly. And other other people are like, these are the coolest frogs on the planet. Um, you know, with some, it's kind of like, kind of like Tinctorius or even Pamilio to a certain extent. Um, but I do think like Tinctorius, for the most part, they all look pretty similar they just have different colors um i know you had nick zappa on recently and he and i have talked about how there's very few tinctorious that don't have those distinct lines um separating the flanks from the back they have like you know citronella and all those frogs have that black line that goes up where like azurius and katari river um i believe most of the tumukumake do not have that black line so it's kind of like a other than that the colors kind of change but with with histrionica i mean some of the, they're so different looking it's not just the colors it's the patterns it's the spotting like um there are some that look similar like redheads look similar to the uh Ufaga histrionica fuego which is like a newer locale that's come in recently they look similar but they are different and i've heard that fuego are really really big i haven't seen those in person yet but um and then you have blue histrionica that actually look like like lamani the like Ufaga lamani but they're not they're histrionica um, and then you've also got the crossbreed of the um, Histrionica and the Lamani, which is called the Anchikaya, or now they call it Ufaga Anchikaiensis. Um, I don't call I don't use these new terms. Like there's Ufaga uh, Solanensis, which is like the Bahia Solano. I still call them Bahia Solano. It's just the old school in me that I'm not. I'm not ready to to call it something else. Um, it's just me. So um, I don't, you know look down on someone that does, does use the new names um it's you know it's their prerogative so uh, i do have the anchikaya um which is the the crossbreed a lot of people i put up a post on instagram a few months ago about you know saying these are crossbreeds um or hybrid basically and you know a lot of people didn't know that which was pretty surprising to me um just you know i've known for a long time that that always the anchikaya were were a cross between lamani it's it's Ufaga Lamani yellow and um, the large form redheads is where the crop the and they talk about it in the DVD that you know the the habitats overlapped. Now this isn't something like it doesn't mean that you should get large form redheads and yellow Lamani and cross them in your tank. You know it's just something that happened over like thousands of years. Um, so we still keep the, the population separate in the ca- in, in captivity, um, even though there are frogs that look like yellow lamani and frogs that look like red lamani and frogs that look like orange lamani all in the same location as the anchikaya but those frogs none of those are true lamani you know the true lamani and reds and yellows and oranges all have their own separate locales pretty confusing stuff but um it's really cool um and so that's you know also we have the ufaga lamani which the yellows um, and the reds are they were both critically endangered. Um, you know, Ivan from Tesaurus has been doing a, a lot of work trying to 
you know, get their population back up and really crack down on the smuggling that happened, you know, back in the 80s and 90s where thousands of them were smuggled every year or every month and whatnot. So the populations were completely decimated. Um, so they're really trying to crack down on that. But, um, yeah, there's some other locales as well I probably didn't mention, um, like the Bahia Solano, Baldo. Um, I said Tato, right? Yeah, I said Tato. Um, Atrado. There's 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 tons, to be honest with you. Um, and then there's the Ufaga Lamani, which those have three color morphs, um, red, yellow, and the orange. And there is a cream, but I'm not sure that's a separate locale. I'm not positive on that. That may just be like a, a, a dull yellow, <laughs> which comes out kind of cream. Um, those are my favorite frogs. I love the Lamani. The, they're just their they're overall behaviors when I'm watching them are just my favorite. But um, they're not that far off from the histrionica. All the histrionica are, are just a pleasure to to keep and breed. Um, and, you know, rightfully so. They're, they're kind of the pinnacle of the hobby. They're very expensive, but they're also very sensitive. Um, it's rare if you talk to anybody and they're just like, yeah, I've never lost, never lost a large obligate, you know. Because for for absolutely no reason, sometimes they just die. You have no idea why or what happened. It looked healthy, and you just find it dead. And you're like, mm-hmm. or you find it drowned in a bromelia. It's like my my thought on that is, if you find them drowned in a bromelia, it's usually, they can get spooked really easily, and they can also have seizures very easily. Um, even if you're you're watching them feed and watching them eat freshly dusted flies with calcium and you're watching them eat them you know in abundance and they can still have seizures so um that usually seizures are said to be you know a result of calcium deficiency but you know um yeah they're very sensitive um i don't recommend beginners to keep them now that doesn't mean that they can't you definitely can and um but just be prepared you know um and also be prepared that you may lose them uh, or some just because they are so sensitive. So it's, you know, not, not the type of frog that you just want to buy from somebody and throw it in a 10 gallon tank for a few months. You know, you, it's good to have a, if you do set up, have a tub set up for them, you want it to be adequate size and loaded with springtails and clean, and, you know, everything like that. You just don't want it to be oversaturated because they can also get bacterial infections really easily. Um, and their skin's super sensitive, so they can get scratched and then bacteria. You know, there's just a lot more to look for with the large obligates. Um, there's also um, Ufaga sylvatica, which I didn't mention, but um, there's there's quite a few um, sylvatica in the hobby, but you don't see see them as much as the histrionica. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, there's some really really stunning morphs. Um, especially there's some stunning morphs that haven't come into the hobby, like the, uh, the white foot, uh, sylvatica and the koi sylvatica. They're both from like that. If you look on the histrionica and large obligate chart, they both come from that El Pengen locale, but, um, neither of those are in the hobby, but those are absolutely probably my favorite looking frog, you know, that, that just exists. Um, I only have one species of sylvatica. I have the San Lorenzo. And um, it's kind of interesting talking about them because they're they're they they are large obligates, but 
they're like a glorified, slightly larger, um, like black jean pamilio or um, uh, bribri or bribri. I don't know. However, some people, I've never had them, so I don't really, I didn't look into how to say that one. But um, there's another one too. Like the larger pamilio locales, like uh, I, I had black jeans before that were enormous, like dwarfed all the current pamilio I have. And my San Lorenzo were slightly larger than that, but definitely nowhere near the size of like, you know, my Bahia Solano or the large form redheads, which are pretty big frogs. I mean, they rival some Tinctorious. Like they're, you know, they don't, a lot of them won't get as bulky as a, you know, a female Tinctorious or like a female uh, Phyllobates terribilis, but, um, you know, they're, they can be pretty big, but the, yeah, the San Lorenzo are kind of smaller. Um, I know like the uh, Portaquito or, uh, or it's Portaquito. Now they brought them in as Diablo. Those are also pretty small frogs. I've seen those. I've had those. Um, but uh, there's like the Paru, which I think are pretty good size. I know there's there's one that's really big. I've never seen in person, but um, Alto Tambo Sylvatica are supposedly like cobalt size like really really large sylvatica um then there's the lita which i think now you know they were imported exported as situa or i think it's situa or something like that but i i know those as uh, sylvatica lita um all really really stunning frogs and you know there's um it's weird though when you talk to certain people you know i talked to a lot of people um other large obligate breeders and keepers and you know for me just with the um with the san lorenzo they're for me keeping wise i I really have like no difference of keeping them from keeping pamilio i've had them for almost 10 years and breed really consistently and you know i've never had anything where like oh man that frog doesn't look good like they've just been like tanks for me um really really resilient uh like pamilio but uh you know i talked to some people uh, my friend bobby's got um and Lynn also from Ferns Frogs. Um, they have the Patablanca Sylvatica, which are stunning Sylvatica. Um, they look sort of like a white foot, but in my opinion, not as nice. Um, and, uh, you know, both of them are like, yeah, these they're tough frogs. They're very difficult. Very difficult to keep and breed. Very picky, very sensitive. So it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to just put each uh, species into its own, you know, Oh, these are harder than this one. It's like every frog, even every, you could get seven pairs of Lamani and four of them may be resilient and may be a dream to work with. And the other three, you know, they'll, they'll turn upside down if you look at them wrong, you know, it's hard to, to say, you know, what's easy and what's hard. Um, you know, you've got to kind of judge it as you keep them, but, um, things to look out for. I'm sorry. Am I am I going on too long? <laughs> no, no. You, well, I what I wanted to do was just just to rein it in real quick. Um, let's let's set up. Let's maybe do like a hypothetical setup, and we'll run through okay. it. Like, let's just say, I mean, obviously, the large obligates. It, it's kind of outside the realm of what anyone would want to get into, just like off the bat. So, I don't want to even say like, all right, like what's a great beginner species? Because I mean, if you've gotten to that point. Um, you know, I, I really wouldn't consider them within the realm of beginner, but l- let's just, let's just like go like straight forward here. Like, let's just say that I want to get my hands on red Lamani, which is yep. a harder, obviously walk us through the process of acquiring a froglet. 
well, first let's first let's say how do we want to set up a, the vivarium in terms of like you know ventilation, um, the the general build, getting the froglet to be well established, get rearing it up. What kind of behaviors could we expect, and what would happen if it were to breed, or how could you encourage it to breed? Sure. Um, so I, I would say a tank um, for a beginner, no smaller than you know an eighteen cube, um, but I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I'd go for 18 by 18 by 24, nothing smaller than that. Um, and you can keep the tank pretty simple. Um, they love leaf litter. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of moss and leaf litter, so I do both. But, um, you know, if you're a beginner, moss can complicate things. Um, so I would probably, as a beginner, just say, um, just you want to have, you don't want to, you want to make sure, I would tell somebody to, to drill the tank for drainage, but if they couldn't do that, I'd say, well, make sure you have some sort of access to suck any water out that that's going to collect in the bottom. Cause you don't want water raising above that, that substrate level. If you're using substrate, you just don't want that. Cause histrionica are, are really sensitive and Lamani are really sensitive to bacterial infections. So, um, you know, standing water or any dirty, nasty, stinky water. That's no bueno. So I'd say either have the tank drilled or make sure you have access um, easily where you can suck the water out of that tank, siphon it out very easily. Um, but um, yeah, you can do substrate or you can do no substrate. Like I do the sponge filter mat um, and just throw leaf litter on top of that. Um, I'd throw some driftwood in there, stuff for them to crawl on that can kind of give them, you know, they like to, they like to walk. Um, and males will kind of strut their stuff, so to speak. They kind of walk. like That's why I have in my histrionica tanks a lot of long pieces of wood, like basically planks for them to walk on. And um, they'll kind of strut around and call. And it's really cool to watch on display, but they also like to do that. They crawl up and like to look for high perches where they can call. Um, so I'd say some driftwood, you know, either uh, ghost wood, manzanita wood, or Malaysian drift. And, um, you know, you could do a background or not do a background. That's completely up to you. I like the backgrounds because it just gives uh, more surface area for them to, you know, it makes the, the tank seem bigger. Um, there's a lot. It's not just a flat bottom and a flat background. You know, it's there's changes in elevation and there's a lot of places where they can hide or they can set up areas. That's basically their territory. If you have multiple males, um, females too, even. But, um, you know. Plant-wise, um, I've always told people, I, I've seen it can be done. You know, I, I know people that breed histrionica and Lamani and any large obligate with bromeliads that have very large spikes. I've seen it. Um, I've seen them do it with small spikes. Personally, I don't recommend that. Um, I like the smooth leaved edges um, just because these are, you know, with Pamilio and some like smaller like redheads or smaller um, Sylvatica. You know, th their their weight isn't as big, so if they're scraping their belly along like a spiky granulia, it's probably not going to cause any issues because there's not a lot of weight there. Um, that being said, it still could happen, but with some of the larger histrionica and Lamani, you know, it's like, why risk the, the chances of them getting a scrape and getting a bacterial infection and dying from that just because you like the look of a spiky bromeliad, you know? Um, so I always use, and in their habitat, like I've talked to Ivan, he said, Everything he sees there is uh, smooth leaves, smooth edge, uh, goosemania, and um, 
Varesia. And I actually don't know any Varesia that have any spiky edges. I'm sure one does or a couple do. But all the Varesia that I've ever seen and used, they all have smooth edges. So um, that, I think, is important. You know, some people may argue that or say it's not important. Um, but, you know, it's spiky bromeliads are just adding risk for really no reason unless it's, you know, personal uh, preference of the way they look. You may like them. but. Um, Temperature-wise, you know, I keep my room um, anywhere from 70 to 74 ambient room temperature. So in the tanks, it's probably 75 to – if I if I temp gun the, the substrate, it's probably going to read like 70 to 72. And if I temp gun the background up towards the light, it's probably going to temp gun at like anywhere from 80 to 84. Um, but you know that's they'll they'll thermoregulate. They'll go where they want to go. They can definitely withstand temperatures of eighty four, uh, and they can withstand temperatures you know down in the sixties too, because um, they thermoregulate in the wild. They they move up and down, and sometimes at night it drops down to like low low sixties even fifties, and they're and they're the frogs are there. They're hanging out there. So, um, you know this is also you know if 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 I temp gun the bottom of the tank and it was reading like 84 and that means the top of the tank's probably like close to the 90s that's when it's like okay I gotta dial something back this is bad um also if you don't have ventilation you know that's I think one of the most important things for all dart frogs I know some people like to keep dart frogs in completely sealed tanks I'm I'm not into that even tanks or phyllobates none of that I don't I don't keep any of those frogs in completely sealed tanks they all have a, at least a one inch vent at the door. Um, you know, there's a, and that's, that's how the passive ventilation works that the new fresh cool air is sucked up through that vent. And there's also ventilation at the top of the tank. Um, mine's about, I have some that are like two inches. I have some that are one inch. Um, Cause I'm just trying to figure out the sweet spot for my actual, my room, you know, my garage, my ambient humidity in here and temperature. So what, what works best for me, I've been trying to dial in as I build tanks. I change every one of them. But um, And it runs the full length from side to side, and it's either one to two inches. But basically, so that fresh, cool air comes in through the vent, and it pushes the old, warm, stagnant air that's, you know, sitting at the top, and it pushes it out the vent. Um, so you're, you're constant, and I have a fan running in the room that's constantly blowing air on the tank, so they get just really good ventilation. Um, as you know, in the wild, in their habitat, there's no glass, so <laughs> they're getting tons of ventilation. It is humid as heck, but um, you know they get a ton of ventilation. So um, I think that's important. And lighting, you know, I just use my standard LED uh, shop lights. Um, with a 6,000 color temp. That's the, the color I like the best. Um, 6,000K. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's all about misting, misting schedules, um, food and supplementation. You know, where everyone asks about misting, misting schedules, you know, should I do it this much? Should I do it that much? It's like, I can't tell you how much to mist. You know, you know. You live there. It's You know if it's humid enough or not. Um, I think I may have even talked about this on your podcast before, but, um, if you can see condensation on your glass anywhere, the tank is humid enough. And if the leaves are dry, that's kind of what you want. Um, the leaves should not always be soaking wet. The ground level should not always be soaking wet. Cause if you ever walk in a jungle or if you ever seen videos of people walking in the jungle, 
you hear leaves crunching, not, you know, sloshing. Um, so I think it's important where, you know, after, of course, after you, after the, the misting system goes off, they're going to be wet, but they should be pretty dry within an hour and a half, two hours. Um, definitely by the, by the next time, like I'm looking at my tank right now, the misting system hasn't gone off for a little while, but, um, you know, the, uh, the leaves are bone dry, you know, and if you lift the top layer up, then some of the leaves underneath will be a little damp, but you know, you don't want, you don't want a completely saturated substrate or leaf litter level, any of that stuff. Um, but you do want to mist enough where that the bromeliads are getting some sort of flush. Um, cause if you've got tadpoles in there, you don't want the water to get all nasty. Um, you, you know, it's been linked. There's been studies that, you know, some SLS and, um, you know, limb deformities and anything like that with just deformities overall and tadpoles. Uh, it's been kind of linked to poor water quality. Um, so, you know, I think it's important that the bromeliads are getting flushed. You know, you're, you're misting enough, or at least, you know, you have some misting heads pointed at bromeliads where tadpoles are situated. And uh, I also manually use, um, I have a spring water, and I'll actually flush bromeliads with spring water. I just pour water in the center axle and just slowly pour it and let the, the old water kind of flush out and you know, fresh new spring water in there just because the spring water has minerals and whatnot where my RO system has no minerals. So um, that's kind of been linked with SLS and deformities as well. So that being said, for years, I didn't do the spring water. I just did RO water and I didn't really have issues. So every situation is different. Every city is different. Uh, so their water is going to be different. So a lot of that stuff comes into play. Um, you can't just like single-handedly point one thing out and be like, yep, yeah, do this and your problems are solved. Because it's going to be different for everybody. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, as far as setting up an enclosure for them, lots of springtails, lots of dwarf isopods. Um, they're pretty simple. Um, froglets can be really difficult. Um, but usually people don't sell froglets. Usually people are selling well, very well started juveniles or even sub adults because you know it's as a buyer and as a seller, um, they're expensive frogs, so you don't want someone spending you know $800 on a frog and then you send it to them and it's too young or something and it dies in a week or it dies in a couple days because the shipping was too rough on it or the new, 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 the new setup parameters weren't ideal and. The frog just can't bounce back. They're not very resilient at that age. Um, so most people in in the hobby, we kind of have a kind of a safe zone is right around four months, four months out of the water. They're usually well started enough, um, but sometimes growth lags behind in certain animals, and they just don't. They're a little runty. They don't grow as big as fast. So some of those take longer, and you hold on to them just six six to eight months um, because you know, like I say, as a seller, you don't want that frog that you raised. Um, and that you're proud of breeding because, like I said, they're kind of the pinnacle of the hobby. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said it's not excited, exciting when you get some of these rare, you know, highly coveted frogs to actually produce for you and you have viable offspring and then you raise it and you ship it off and it dies in a week. It's like the seller is just as devastated as the buyer. Um, the buyer is devastated because they lost a really cool frog and they think it's their fault. And they're also upset because they lost out on the money. Um, and the seller is usually 
for the same exact reasons. Uh, they didn't lose money, but a lot of times, at least for me, when someone loses a large obligate for me that I sent them, I'm like, all right, man, I don't have any more right now, but I'll take care of you. Um, I'll send you a replacement when I get, you know, cause you just feel terrible about it. So it's like, and me personally, even though it's like, I know it's not my fault. Some people lose them after two months and it's like, that, that ain't my fault, but I still want the person to have a good experience with me. So I'm like, Hey man, you know, I got some more coming up. I'll work with you, give you a discount or something. And, you know, or sometimes I, I just send them for free. Um, cause I just, I, I feel bad, you know, that someone, even though it's happened to me and no one gives me, they don't, they don't give me, they don't give me a free frog, but it's just me personally. That's stuff I do. Um, I just want anybody that buys something for me to, to have a good experience. And, you know, the people that when they lose, like, I know, I'm sorry. It's, I know it's my fault. It's not your fault. You don't have to do that. I'm like, I know, but I want to do it. Okay. Like I, I'm offering it. I'm, I'm not, you weren't complaining to me. I'm just letting you know, I'll take care of you. I'll do whatever I can to help you out in the future on, you know, any large obligate purchases, but, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of the rundown on, on setting up a tank. Um, you want bromeliads, you can have, use whatever plants you want. I like bromeliads, small, small vines and like one or two semi large to large leaved aeroids in the tank. Um, I think it kind of goes well. They, they walk on the big, the big leaves that, you know, if they're horizontal, not the vertical ones, but um, like leaves that sit or vertical horizontally, they'll they'll walk on those and crawl on them, and they seem to like them. So, um, yeah, just really, really, you can have a really simple setup. I mean, I see a lot of the European tanks are very, very simple as far as the actual scaping goes. You know, they'll throw in a couple pieces of wood, throw in some canisters, and they'll do. You could do a cork background or whatever, and throw up a couple of vines. They'll grow up it, and, but they've got their tank. You know, like. Uh, Pretty much everyone in Europe I see, I never see anybody with exoterras or zoom outs. They're all custom enclosures, custom frog enclosures. Just that's where my tanks are um, designed after. They're Euro style tanks. And, you know, all the Europeans I see, they all use some sort of custom frog enclosure. So it's like, and they've been doing that for so long, um, you know, decades where it's like, we're just, like we're, we've always been sort of behind in that regard. So, you know, I kind of hope that my YouTube videos and building the showing people that they're not that difficult to build, um, kind of hoping that it would start that trend of people realizing that custom enclosures are the way to go over Zoomed and Exoterra. Um, even though they'll work, Exoterra and Zoomed will definitely work. Um, and you probably won't have issues, but it's like, I don't know why, why not try and make the hobby the best it could be, you know? Um, that's kind of, kind of what I, I guess hoped that some of my videos would do, but I don't know if it's working or not. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it is. And everyone has their own comfort level in terms of what they're comfortable doing. Like, for example, like certain people are just not comfortable cutting glass or, or drilling glass because, you know, I mean, for a custom build, you're, you're drilling the piece before you're putting it together or whatnot. You haven't lost that much money. But for someone who's drilling an Exoterra or a Zoomed or something like that, and the thing shatters into a million pieces, you you can't just bring it back to the store. You know what I mean? Right. But, but right. it's, yeah, I, I, what, the, what I took away from your videos was that 
It's it's also a, a big part of the hobby itself. I mean, the, the frogs are a, obviously the main focus of it, but the construction of the tanks and the selection of plants and everybody brings something different to the table. Like I know some people who are just really, really great with plants. They can rattle off the scientific names of like everything. Like I, I had, there was some plant at work. I wanted to know what it was and I took a picture of it and I sent it to Zach from Equatorial Ecosystems. And within like like two minutes, he gets back to me. He goes, "Oh yeah, that's this and this and this, and it's a hybrid." I'm like, "Holy shit!" I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. Some people know that. Some people like you. Like you're really really good with with cutting glass. You know, some people are just great with it. But yeah. it, it it does set a. I think it does set a good bar that you should at least be aware with aware of like some of those. Some of those key points to the hobby, like even if you're not comfortable cutting glass yourself, you should have some sort of a functional understanding of what makes a functional vivarium and how it is constructed, like whether you choose to do it or not. Yeah. Like I, I, my biggest problem, and this is one of the things that I learned, I learned by accident. I learned that it could be corrected through your videos was I bought Baker's racks and I was used to stacking. Um, you can, you can fit three 10 gallon aquariums like side by side. If you put them long ways instead of like, yeah. you know, sideways, and yep. I was years ago that I, that was a great rack for me to keep really really small species like I kept like baby corn snakes in there or like a single a single frog or whatever and that worked great but I found that when I went to line up like larger sizes they just didn't fit and then watching your videos and realizing that okay well you can't necessarily go like um like 20 like you can't put two 24s next to each other because it won't fit so you have to go like 22 and a half Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's that's not a hack, but that's a hack that people should yeah. understand like when you're planning because if you want to have a large collection and obviously the visual appeal of it is a big part of this, you should have an understanding of how that stuff is done, how to cut glass, what Absolutely. some of the, the some of the key measurements are. Like like you know, like the um the eighteen by eighteen by twenty four. Like that's just a good size for frame of reference. And again, that's something you can pick up from watching different videos like like yours, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious about some of the supplementation for the large obligates. And I know that like the, the calcium clay has caught on with a lot of, well, really a lot of dart, spe dart frog species in general, but like, especially with the obligates and like springtails and whatnot. I mean, like, what are some dietary, like, what are some unique dietary things that you'd find with the large obligates like, like Lamani or, or Histrionica that you wouldn't necessarily have to pay such close attention to with like Dangerbates tinctorius or like leucomelos or something like that. Sure. Um, so mainly still the issue, the main issue it seems with uh, the large obligates is still calcium and seizures when you're, when you're having just unexplained losses and stuff like that. Um, and mainly the reason it's, you know, even if you have calcium clay, um, you know, that's a way for them to, it's still, I don't think the science has actually been done on it to actually know how much calcium or how, much, how many ions they're absorbing from that, you know, the minerals and everything from that clay. I mean, it's, it's obvious and evident that they definitely use it, but you're still not exactly sure of the amounts of what they're actually getting and using. Um, but so my, my theory on why it's not something that's really as important for Tinctorius is because most histrionica and sylvatica and lamani are not and i say this like most not all 
um, but most are not as voracious as hunters or eaters. And the calcium is very important for them. You know, they're especially, you know, they're just producing so many eggs to feed and all that stuff for the females. Where Tinctorius, if you throw fruit flies, dusted fruit flies, if there's not something seriously wrong with that frog, they're coming out and they're pounding them. They are going to pound those flies. So they're getting that calcium. You know they're getting that calcium. With what I've noticed with large obligates, anytime I've had unexplained losses, um, it's I'll put flies in the tank. Like if I put flies in my anchokaya tank, I'm going to see both of my anchokaya come over and feed. My blue histos, I'll see them feed. Now it may not be as immediate as the tinctorious. I may have, I may go around feed the room and then I'll go sit at my desk and I can look from afar. And I'll see them come down and eat. But when you notice the frogs not coming down and eating, and you may not have seen it eat, come down and eat for a week or two, but you see, and then you find the frog and it has a healthy weight. More than likely, what's happening is that frog isn't hunting. I mean, many of the large object breeders talk about how important it is to know that frog is hunting flies. It's chasing dusted flies and eating them. It's, it's going after the food, not being lazy and waiting for the food to cross its nose for it to eat. That, the problem with that, where I, I did use some of that renarium um, calcium, but I don't think it's available anymore. But um, that stuff stayed on the frogs or stayed on the flies for far, far longer than like your Apache products. Um, I still use Apache as my regular feeder, but I just burn through it like crazy. But in situations like I'm explaining, if you throw Apache on some flies, you throw 200 flies in the tank, and that frog doesn't come and hunt, and it just it's sitting wherever it's comfortable in its little spot, and it's waiting for flies to cross its nose, it may take a half hour, an hour, and by that time, the fly may have already shaken that dust off. So. The frog is actually getting very small amounts of calcium, not as much calcium as it needs. So in situations like that, when you've got a frog acting like that, for whatever reason, it's not hunting voraciously and it's hunkering down for unknown reasons, that's the situation where, say you slid a door open and you spooked a frog that was like that and wasn't, didn't have ample amounts of calcium and it was sitting in a bromeliad and it had a seizure, in my opinion, that's the issue with when you find a dead frog in a bromeliad. Something spooked it, it had a seizure, and it was in the water, and it, and it drowned. Because um, there's no other reason. Like, the frogs are, you know, there's no lesions, there's, you know, nothing wrong with it. Like, why would it drown in an inch of water? It, it's like, it, the only explanation is it had some sort of seizure. Um, or if you've got, like, another male or, or the frogs fighting and one drowned one another, like, that's a possibility. Um, but usually you can... Ufaga are, are very easy to see when they're fighting. Um, they're like little little Spartan warriors. They, they go at it. Um, and it's especially males. It's very, very easy to see. Um, but, um, you know, so calcium, I'd still say, you know, is the main issue. But the calcium clay does help um, if they're not getting enough calcium from the food and they're not hunting. That's one way you can hope that they're going to sit on that and absorb it. Um, calcium gluconate is another product I use. I get from uh, one of your guests, Keith Tannis, um, from Frogs and Things. He sells little 
prepackaged bottles. Um, it's like these little tiny bottles. There's no liquid in it. It's just a the actual calcium gluconate, and you add RO water to it and let it dissolve. And you can put just straight up drops of this calcium gluconate drops. It's like I think it's like two percent. Um, but uh, just put a put a drop or two on its back. Froglets or any frog that you think's not getting enough calcium, and that's a way for them to get some more calcium. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to spot if a frog's not getting enough calcium. You just can't really tell sometimes. So um, that's why I say, unfortunately, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. But um, so those are that's another product I, I, I have besides the calcium clay that I use. Um, and um, I do have multiple types of calcium. I Like I said, my main feeder is uh, Rapashi Calcium Plus. I do have the ReptoCal as well, uh, which I'll mix in here and there. Um, and I recently did start doing Arcadia UVB on one row of my uh, my large obligate tanks through the screen, and I'm doing three hours when I when I run the UVB. It runs for three hours, and it's three times a week. So, or no, let me think about this. Yeah, it's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, it runs for three hours. Um, about an hour after lights come on, then the UVB comes on. If they want to soak up some UVB, they can. I use like a, I think I use a six percent bulb. Um, so for that, I do also use um, Tinkman Herbs Calcium um, without D3 because I know they're already going to be getting the UVB. So um, I, I do that as well. Uh, I'll mix that in. So those are my calcium products that I'll use. Um, something also to note that I think is important. It's not really, it doesn't really have to do with, well, I guess it does have to do with calcium, um, but more on the lines of uh, medication is amphibian ringer solution. I get from Carolina Biological. Um, I think that's incredibly important to just have on hand at all times. Any frog, it, it's, it basically rehydrates any frog and basically gets their system back in balance. Um, so they're not going to be using up um, important things that they need to stay alive um, it kind of balances that whole system um, it's also incredibly important if any frog or any frog in general has a seizure because I, I wonder i've wondered how many frogs people have thought were dead that were stretched out in the tank that recently had a seizure and they actually weren't dead um, and they threw them out you know they put them in a bag or, and threw them out um, or they just let them die in the tank because there's oftentimes you can you can find a frog that looks dead, stretched out, its mouth can kind of be open, completely sprawled out, and looks like rigor mortis. Basically, it's super tight, and if you throw it or not throw it, <laughs> collect it, collect it in a little cup with uh, you know maybe an eighth of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch of ringer solution in the bottom, and just put the lid on it, and set that stretched out frog in it. You can come back in 20 minutes and that frog is sitting in upright, completely normal position. Um, and they can bounce back and live on for years. Um, they can also Seizures can also be super tough on them where even if they do come back to life, they may have another seizure you know, a day later or a couple days later and you're fighting that battle. Sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. But I wonder how many frogs in general have died or have people thought died and pulled them and threw them in the tank or left them in the tank without doing that little step on the ringer solution, um, that could have saved them. You know, I, I personally have my Rio Calubre male had a seizure um, about three years ago. 
I thought it was dead. Didn't understand why, but I picked it up and I thought I saw a little bit of movement in his throat. And I was like, you know what? Maybe he's not dead. Threw them in a cup with ringers. He's still alive and kicking today. So um, that's the situation. And it was like, I didn't see it have the seizure, but I came in the room and saw it on the ground. And it, 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 Who knows? The lights could have came on that morning and spooked it. And I had a seizure. It could be something as simple as that. But just that step right there, throwing it in the ringer solution, again, not throwing it, but setting it or collecting it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it bounced back. And that one is still breed alive, well, and breeding and super chunky and healthy today. Um, you know, and obviously I always have calcium clay in that tank as well, too, for whatever reason. But so I think that's very important to have any obligate keeper, breeder. Um, also, any dark it, it it'll work on tanks. It'll work on it, it's frogs and it's amphibian ringers, not not Ufaga ringers. It's amphibian ringers. So, a very important product. I think every keeper should have. It's not very expensive. Um, I think it might have a shelf life, but you know, every three to six months or something, spend the fifteen bucks and order. A, it's like a liter of amphibian ringer solution. So, um, that's something I don't know if I've ever talked about before, but. Um, yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Um, vitamin A is also really important. I try to do every 10 to 15 days, I'll dust my flies with vitamin A. Um, it's really good for, you know, eyesight. It's good for, you know, frogs that are lacking vitamin A or known to develop sticky tongue syndrome or short tongue syndrome where they're trying to eat flies, but the tongue's not flicking out. Um, it's also very good for egg production and getting viable eggs. A lot of times when you're not getting viable eggs, kind of up that vitamin A. Um, not to the point of, you know, hypervitamin A, hypervitamin aosis. No, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I, I think it's hypovit hypovitamin. Never mind. Let's just, let's just say you, that we know, got it. Yeah, I know what it is. We know what we're talking about. Yes, yes, um, yes. But, um, yeah, it can develop that. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be, I know like you had Taryn on recently and, and I talked to Taryn at a show and he was talking about, uh, you know, he's like, I do it like four or five days a week. I'm like, what man, that's wild. Um, and you know, obviously he has success with it. So he's not just blowing smoke. Taryn's a, a super straight up guy. Um, and I just, you know, tells you what he's doing and straight up with it. So, um, I'm sure that works for him, but I'm still not in the, the, the mindset that that's what I want to do. Um, you know, I do at the most once a week. And, um, usually, like I said, that's only with, I'll only do it once a week with frogs that are constantly laying eggs and they're not getting viable eggs. So, um, everything else, if they're getting viable eggs, I try and do every, you know, 10 to 15 days, I'll give a vitamin A feeding. Um, so that's important. Um, and then I also use some sort of, uh, and I use Rapashi vitamin A. I use Tinkman Herbs Egg Right. You know, I have multiple products. I just kind of mix in and alternate between. Um, and then I also use Color Enhancer, um, some sort of carotenoid supplement. Either I have uh, Renarium, Carotenoid Plus, and then I also have uh, Naturose. So that's from Tinkman Herbs. Um, and I'll alternate with those. Same thing. Every 10 to 15 days, I'll try and use that. But um, really good for egg production again and um, retaining some of that those reds and oranges. Um, it definitely can help. And even if it's not with, you know, if a parent or one of your adults loses color, like if your adult goes from red to orange and 
you're likely not going to get that that red that it once was back. Um, but you will see it in the offspring. Um, you will like if you have some orange basti that were once red and you have given them lots of uh, carotenoid supplements. The froglets that come out, I mean, more oftentimes than not, will be cherry red. Um, so, and if you keep up with it with the, the froglets, you know, they can keep that color. So, um, you know, I've had, I have heard some people say that their frogs have kind of come back a little bit. You know, it's more of an orange red now, not straight orange. But, um, yeah, usually when they, they lose that color, it's it's, it's kind of hard to come back to it. But, what about social? Um, what about social dynamics? Like, if can you keep them in groups, pairs, trios? Like, how would you set them up if you had more than one? Um, I think it's best to do, you know, a one point one. Um, you know, I know I did have some success with my Sylvatica um, San Lorenzo in a in a one point two for a while for a few years, and then one day I found one of the one of the females was dead. Um, again, no idea why it was completely chunky and healthy. Uh, but so that was the only time I ever experimented with it. Um, I, well, I did have a 2.2 redhead. That was when I first got redheads. I had a 2.2 and I had success with, it was in a 180 gallon tank though. So, um, it's 48 wide by 24 deep by 36 tall. So pretty, pretty massive tank for four frogs. And they never fought. I never had any issues, but um, the the breed the offspring numbers were very low. You know, there was tons of bromeliads in there, tons of calling, tons of eggs, but I'd get like one froglet every four or five months. So something must have been happening. I know you've talked about it before, and other guests have talked about it. That you don't always see the the aggression or stress that that's happening. Um, it's not always super evident, but sometimes you know and i just had a hunch i was like you know maybe there's fighting or something i'll separate them and do two pairs so i separated them into you know one pair per tank and uh, i ended up selling the the one pair the extra pair i had but after i did that i was getting you know four to five froglets every every three to four months so you know that alone just was like oh okay there must have been something it was just complicating things i guess when you had more frogs in there and like again, with a super high price tag on these frogs, um, not super high in terms of, you know, the herp society and the herp hobby, but for the frog hobby, they're expensive frogs. You know, I know there's snakes that are like twenty five thousand dollars snakes and stuff like that, but for the frog hobby, they're they're expensive frogs. Um, and and you know, I just think that giving them the least amount of stress or complications that can arise from having another male or another female is always going to be a, a better a better thing um so just keeping them one 1.1 i've even seen 1.1.1s wrestle you know, i've had breeding pairs like fight and i'm like what, what's going on here <laughs> what i mean you, you you know you know it's a male why are you why are you fighting it or you know it's a female why are you fighting the opposite it's like Sometimes they'll just fight, and I don't. I have no idea why. Um, but, but yeah. So, um, I think the less frogs, uh, the less problems in terms of large obligates. Uh, Pamilio, I know people have had quite a bit of success with groups. Um, personally, I have my cemetery bastimentos are a one point two, and 
I do have my the unknown locale or tropical garage basti. I have a big group of those because I held back a bunch, so I don't even know what the group dynamic is. But I never find dead frogs, so there's like ten of them in there, so that's good. But a uh, buddy of mine in California, he keeps large, large groups of familio. Like uh, I will say, if you're gonna keep groups of familio, it's better to have female heavy groups and like very female heavy. So if you have ten frogs, for example. I would say like a 3.7 or a, even a 2.8 um, just because the males with Ifaga are generally they're, they're, little, they're little little jerks. <laughs> That's not the word I would normally use, but um, you know, I don't know. We're, we're keeping this kid friendly today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're, um, they're little gangsters, I guess we could say, but yeah, I was I was just gonna say they're they're dicks. But, yeah, well, um, <laughs> that, that's not too bad. That's not too no. Bad. We'll, we'll let it slide. You know, it's funny because <laughs> that reminds me of an old episode of The Simpsons where Bart won an elephant on a radio. You remember that he won a he won an elephant on like a radio calling show. Oh yeah, and they the episode ends and they end up bringing the elephant to some sort of like elephant sanctuary. And immediately he goes and starts attacking the other the other elements uh, elements the other elephants, and Marge asks the 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 guy I guess the keeper whatever she goes well, why is he acting like that and he says well you know some animals have a hard life and some were abused and some are anxious he goes and then some are just jerks and, <laughs> and he's right because some animals yeah. just they are they're just yeah. they're just jerks they they just they have a different personality than yeah. others I mean I've got. Just- like my, my, my Patricia's, if, if they're, I, I entered, I had a, it was a bit of a mix up. I had bought what was supposed to be uh, a sex adult male. And, um, I opened up the, the cup and I looked at him like, uh, this doesn't look male. I said, it doesn't even look like a Patricia, but I was like, all right. I put yeah. them in together like, within a second. It was a melee. <laughs> they were on each other within a second. And, some of them are just like they, they. I mean, cap- captivity of, of anything is going to put different stressors on a situation. So, what we Absolutely. see what we see in the wild sets a good precedent, meaning okay, we know what we we know what the the baseline for normal should be. Yeah. But you know what we what we what we think is going to happen, what actually happens, are two completely different things. So yeah, you know, there's going to be frogs that are going to be difficult. Absolutely, and and you know when you see videos of frogs in situ that are like fighting you know that male has a little has a little location he's set up a little area he's like this is mine and when a rival comes in they fight and the one who loses is gonna go away he's gonna leave and not fight anymore um it's rare that you know I, well actually i don't know if that's rare or not but i would think that it's rare in the in in, in the wild for them to actually fight to the death but i'm sure it does happen um but in captivity you know that frog can't can't leave <laughs> it's like it's always in that like you know to think i'm sure they do set up little micro territories in these tanks you know maybe they set up a, a one square foot of an area um but when they fight that male can't like leave the area he's still going to be in the vicinity definitely it of his in eyesight where if that frog really doesn't like him being around, it's like, he's going to keep coming at him and they can easily fight to the death and just 
or it can fight to where it made the, you know, the, the, the less dominant frog just completely stressed out where it stops eating and it starts looking like crap. And if you don't catch it in time and don't separate it, goodbye. You know, it's like that, that's the problem. Um, that a lot of people, you know, don't really realize that when, when there's frogs that aren't getting along, that frog can't get out of the tank unless you, the keeper physically remove it from that tank. Yeah. It, it's that so, lack of choice. Like that, that's, I mean, all, all the way back when I first started, I think it was episode three, I did an episode about cohabbing and that was my main argument was that you're eliminating the thing's ability to run away. Right. You know, and there's, there's, there's many, many subtle ag- ways to have aggression. I mean, if you, you know, if you're in a, a workplace situation and someone's just intimidating you by, you know, trying to go after your job or, you know, you've got a neighbor who constantly like lets his dog crap in front of your house. I mean, it sounds silly, but but those are stressors. Those are things. Those are acts of aggression. I mean, you're not outright, you know, getting down and like having a fist fight with someone. But those things added up over time combined can stress any living thing out to the point where it's going to fail to thrive. I mean, oh, yeah. it can't like Absolutely. you said, it can't it can't run away. It's, it's, I mean, we're still keeping them in a box. You know what I mean? It's a, a, whether it's a two foot by four foot or a two foot by six foot, it's still a box. It's not acres and acres of land where it can just, you know, peace out. I'm out of here. But exactly. It's, um, I I mean, that's one of the things that, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, yes, especially, you know, when you're using like smaller size tanks and you're trying to put groups in, it's like, it's it's a you got a 50 50 shot it's either gonna work or it's not when you use you know when you're doing the bigger tanks like you're talking you know 200 300 even 150 gallon tanks like still not ideal the frog can't escape but it can if you've got enough visual barriers in there and you've got enough plants and foliage and that 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 you know less dominant frog can can kind of get away to a spot that's not going to bother the other frog anymore unless he goes over to him again. Um, you know, the bigger the tank, the, the more space they do have to kind of escape. Um, you know, where, you know, if you're trying to put, you know, six male, uh, with two females in a 18 by 18 by 18, it's like, good luck, man. <laughs> That's not going to go well. Um, they, they can't, they can't go anywhere, you know, but if you, tr- if you did that, if you did a six point, a 6.2 in a 500 gallon tank with, you know, 40 bromeliads and, you know, sure. It could probably work. You may have a death here and there, um, but you could still have a group dynamic that may work. Um, and, you know, because I know some people that breed Pomilio and they don't really sell them. They just breed and they have a colony in there. And, you know, you may have a death here and there, but the offspring that come out, they raise up in there and they, add to the colony it's like you can have a, a ton of pomilio uh where you know in a tank together and you may have a death here and there but ultimately your, your number keep, keeps growing you know what i mean and the, and the group dynamic is working so to speak and in, in the fact that unless a frog dies the other frogs are all healthy and they're producing and producing viable healthy offspring so it's like in my opinion that's still a successful group dynamic you know yeah i, I mean the the larger group size might also change that dynamic as well because if you've got two or three frogs, all right, well, the one dominant frog is going to want to go after the, the two smaller frogs. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. in a bigger terrarium, they could hide, but, you know, 
if if you have say you have 10 frogs in a big like 500 gallon tank that dynamic yeah. might be very different than two or three frogs yeah. in the same size tank or two or three frogs in a smaller tank exactly I mean, like, there's, more, there's more fish in the sea that way exactly I mean? exactly i mean any any anyone who has kids knows that, like when you, when you go on a car ride with the kids <laughs> they're going to go absolutely nuts on each other in the back seat over like nothing you know you know yeah. what i mean and yeah there's no stopping it, but you take them outside where there's place to, you know, there's places to go. They're not going to be as bad. And if you put them in a group with other people, that's when they start being buddy, buddy again, you know? Yeah. But I mean, yep. obviously not, not to, com- you know, God forbid you, you know, compare frogs with people, but it, oh, it's people just, get real upset about that. Yeah, I know. But it's, 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 it's <laughs> there's certain commonalities to every living thing. I mean, every living thing is going to have a reaction to members of its own kind, whether it's positive, negative, or neutral. I mean, something's going to happen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I totally well, agree. Yeah. Well, we're kind of we're kind of at the end and um yep. I didn't really script anything for this, so I, <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> I don't even know what you want to end on, but um, Oh, we had fun. We talked about rats yeah. and and Usaga and that's always fun. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I promised myself I'm like, you know what? I'm like, look, I I it takes a lot of it takes a lot of time and planning to go into these episodes. I was like, you know what? I was like, episode 100 is that I'm hitting record I'm not stressing about it. I'm like, you know yep. what? We're just going to, we'll just go off into the wild blue yonder. But, um, I'm trying to, I got, <laughs> I got, I got to end with, I got to end with something for some continuity because for, for all, for all I know, this could be like the viral episode that like shoots me up into like the, um, the upper echelons of the, the, the podcast world. Um, <laughs> you do like the Joe Rogan of frogs. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> apparently I'm, 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 the king of the frog podcast, I guess. I don't know if that's a good, you know, it's funny. Like I look at other podcasts for different, different topics and subjects. Like I listen to a lot of paranormal stuff. That's kind of what I got into first was like paranormal type of stuff. And that is, there are big bucks in that man. Like I'll look at some of these like podcasts and they've got like five episodes out and they've already got like a thousand, like five star reviews. And it's like, like, and they've, yeah, I'm like, you're making a living off of this. And, and like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like breaking my, like breaking my, my ass, like, like 18 yep. hours a week doing this. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh man, like I'm in the wrong game, but it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I guess I, I shouldn't complain. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. You know, I, I mean, this is, um, you know, it's, it's gone over well. It's, it's a hundred episodes. I, 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 I actually met you through the, I met you because of Travis, um, yep. from TCS. Cause Travis was like, Oh, he goes, you gotta, you gotta reach out to Troy. I'm like, I'm like, man, this guy's got like a huge YouTube channel. Like who the hell am I? He's going to be like, Oh, who's this guy? You know what I mean? But, yeah. um, now we have, we have quite the, the bromance going on now. Absolutely. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's been a, you know, I think this is my third time on. I, I always enjoy coming on here and. Just shooting it. It's uh, it's fun. I always like talking frogs. I mean, I don't know if you ever join any of my live streams, but some of those, oh, you've joined some, but you know, yeah. some of those go on for like five, six hours. I go to bed so, at like nine o'clock at night, and <laughs> the live stream start at like, I'm like rolling over, like my eyes are like bloodshot. I'm like, it's like, oh, Troy's tropical garage is going live. I'm like, man, I'm like, why can't he go live at like seven at night? I'm like, but yeah, yeah. my. Uh, my Instagram audience, they're they're not you, out, so you know, they're, they're like coming on late. I actually, I think, I think I do have a, a a good last question to end on. Sure. Um, 
I mean, you and I both are, are in like the, I don't want to say the public eye, but like, you know, we're, we're sources of, we're both sources of information for, for dart frogs and for, you know, frog care and bills and whatnot. Yeah. What's it like for you, like putting dart frog content out and, and interacting with people? Like what, what's, what's the hardest thing about it? Like what, there's a million, there's always like reasons to say like, why do I do this? Like what are some of those reasons for you? Like personally, like why do you, why do you do this? So yeah, I've, I've talked about this on streams before. Um, but it's basically my, um, I guess my way of giving back to the hobby. Um, just cause, and you know, not to talk bad about anybody, but you know, when I would go on YouTube, um, a lot of the information that was out there and like people that were getting a lot of views and had decent popularity on there, it was just like, there's a lot of information here that this person's making it seem like it's, it's this way it's it's his way or the highway and you got to do it. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was just like, even, you know, when people ask me stuff, they're like, well, you're, you do this. It's like, yeah, but that I'm not saying it's the best way. I'm just showing you what I do. And that showing that there is another way to do it where you don't have to. That's why I started to like, you don't have to do exactly what this dude's saying. You can have tons of success and go this route. And I think a lot of people liked that approach that I wasn't like jamming anything down someone's throat. Um, it was just kind of more of a, a laid back approach. Like, you know, do what works for you. This is what I do. And, and when people ask me in the comments, I still they're like, well, why do you do this and this and this? It's like, cause that's the way I do it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to get in a debate here with you and like give you like all these, the, 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 what it's in the video. Like I talk about why I do this or that. Um, and that's the reason I do it. It's that, that's it. That's the way I do it. So like sometimes I come off in, in the comments and stuff like that, where some of the, the, the questions I get are just a little annoying. Um, so I'm sure I come off as a, uh, as a dick um at times but you know it's just like i don't know sometimes i'm like use your use your head man like you know you're you're asking such simple questions and i'm not going to take the time out of my day to actually t answer it sincerely um but yeah like giving back um you know because i don't make a lot of money off youtube at all um i if i quit my job i would lose my car, my house, and all of my belongings in a very, very <laughs> short amount of time. Um, I do not make a lot of money from YouTube. So if someone or anybody thinks that I'm on YouTube for monetary value, they are sadly mistaken. Um, it's, it's really just to, you know, I've been in the hobby for 22 years, which is a long time, but certainly not the longest. There's a lot of people that have way more experience and knowledge than i do and um you know i don't pretend to be the the end all be all with dart frog information um i think people do like some of my approaches in some of the tank building skills and stuff like that um or scaping skills some people like them some people don't and that's totally fine um i don't think my tanks are the greatest you know i'm like yeah they're they're pretty cool some of them are cool but i'm never like you know no one's gonna top this this is the best like, I don't think that I'm like, people are like, vote, give your tank a rating. I'm like, oh, 7.8. I don't know. It's functional. It looks pretty good. And that's it. It's not like stunning. Um, but you know, that's my opinion. Some people think my tanks are stunning. So, um, you know, whatever, I'm like, thanks. I appreciate the kind words, but you know, it's 
that that's something a lot of people don't realize is that the tanks in my room, they're breeder slash display tanks. They're not display tanks. They're they're firstly breeder tanks, and I just try to make them look as good as possible. Um, so they're not like the three hundred gallon. That one is a display tank. That's for display purposes. Um, you know, and again, I still don't think that thing's like the best thing in the world. It's like it's pretty. It's it's nice. It's a nice tank. I like it. Um, you know, it's still growing, so you know, it's in a good good place right now. I really like the way it looks right now, but um, you know, th- that's kind of the whole reason why I do just to put some because there's like I say, the people that are really experienced, um, like myself, or even more experienced than me, or even a little less experienced, none of those are the people that seem to be making videos. It's like the people who are making videos are the people that are like. They get, they jump into the hobby. They're super excited about it, and they're building their first frog tank, and they get sixty thousand views. And it's like, why? Or they'll get four hundred thousand views, and it's like, this tank is so basic and not held up to a high standard by any means. But like, the fact that four hundred thousand people saw this tank, that means that some people think this is an exceptional tank. It's like, that's kind of. I'm like, I don't want. I want to show people like some, an experienced keeper, like one of the, like, you know, Julio, why doesn't he make videos or, you know, Idris or Sean Harrington? Like none of these people make videos on building or keeping, um, you know, I'm just naming a couple of buddies. Um, there's so many others, but, um, none of them make videos. So it's like, I'm the only person I feel like that's been in the hobby for a long time that actually puts content out there. Um, you know, Chase from Houston Frogs, um, he's definitely not like a seasoned vet. He's been around for long enough. He makes videos and he puts some good information out there. Um, you know, Audrey puts good information out there. Um, you know, there's there's people, Travis too. Like Travis, I guess Travis is another one, but Travis has been less or more inactive than me the past couple of years. Um, I've only made one video this this entire year of 2022. I don't. I think Travis's last video was like multiple years ago. So, um, but Travis has been around for a long time, and he made he made good videos and good content. But you know, it, it's that was kind of the whole reason why I got back into making videos, which was I think 2018. Why I got more into it and actually making videos more of like uh, a learning tool or some sort of tutorial. Um, it was just so the YouTube, you know, community and also the hobby in general, because YouTube is a huge information device, basically, um, where, you know, it's a platform where people can, you know, gain a lot of information. So I figured I've got cameras and I've got cool frogs and I've got some cool tanks. So why not share some knowledge? But you know, it's it is a, it's a ton of work making videos, and I'll just be honest with you. There's times I just don't want to make videos, and not being a YouTuber by profession or using it as a you know, I do get paid a small amount of money, and it's literally stuff that I just throw back into the hobby, or I'll buy camera equipment or something with it. It's like don't it doesn't pay any bills at all, so. I don't have the, like, you know, talking to like Mike Titula, um, some other friends of mine that I know that are like the reptile community. Um, you know, they do it. That's, that's their job. Um, Tanner Serpa from Serpa Design, 
that that's their way of making money. So they pretty much have to make videos weekly. Um, or they don't, they can't live. You know what I mean? So, you know, when people are always like, you know, you need to start making videos weekly. Well, it's like, first off, I don't think my following is big enough nor will it ever be big enough where I can do a video a week and actually make enough money to pay my bills. Uh, I don't think that's possible. Um, and also I do think that the quality of videos kind of goes, goes down. Um, as far as it feels forced, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're making a video every week or if you're making two videos a week, you're forcing yourself to put content out there and it can feel rushed just to get the video out for your fan base where when I put videos out, I never rush them, <laughs> obviously, um, putting one video out in six months. But when I put a video out, I do kind of, I put it all out there. You know, I, I really go for it as far as like, you know, I'll spend days editing it and, you know, days with film footage, all that stuff. Um, and really try and put the best content, the best, clips and audio and video and editing that I can possibly put together for this one video that may be once every few months. Um, you know, and I'm fine with that. I, I don't feel like I'm doing a disservice to my followers. I think everyone that follows me kind of knows my situation and knows that I don't YouTube for a living. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm good with that. And I just hope that the people who don't understand that, if they listen to this, they will understand that. You know, it's not, it's not a ways of living for me. So it's really just me paying back to the hobby with some good, wholesome information. Um, sometimes it it may not be the best information because I'm not a scientist. So sometimes I don't really have all the answers of why something is done a certain way. I just say, yeah, I don't know, man. This is this is just the way I do it, bro. So um, that, that's it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that that's a very long explanation of, um, which I apologize for, but a very long explanation of why I make videos. Yeah, I know people who do. I mean, obviously, like Mike Mike Titula is one of them, but I know a couple other people who do the whole YouTube thing full time, yeah. and it's like you're working like. 16 hours a day for like, le like less than minimum wage when you think about it i mean it's it's if you can pull it off it's great because you're doing the, really you're doing the thing that you love i mean if you've been doing th something that you love for 16 hours a day that's a great thing but yeah it's it's a killer and the funny thing was i the reach the the podcast reach is not what it is with youtube reach because you're not getting casual views you know what i mean like someone's not going to click on my podcast you know listen to it for like 30 seconds and then move on it's not how it works with with podcasting it's a long form content so i, I, so I was like all right i was like, it's like just just out of curiosity i made a youtube channel and um i put up like two or three shorts just to see what would happen and the first one was just like seven seconds of, of a bicolor just kind of bouncing around in his enclosure. And that got like 600 views, which for me was, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. 600 views within like the first day. And then I did a, a Santa Isabel with, with tadpoles and that got like 1200 views. And like a funny thing was like, it got like dislikes. And I don't know if that was just because the tadpoles grossed people out. And then I'm like, like, what, like, why are you disliking this? I mean, if you, if you took, isn't it like more effort to click the dislike button than it is to just to keep scrolling. But then like, and, and then I, I made a, um, 
uh, people love to hate. Yeah. They love to hate. I made an Instagram reel of, I think it was the same thing. I think it was the bicolor. I just posted it as a reel. And that reel got 6,000 views within like maybe 18 hours or something like that. And I'm like, and then I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm in the wrong game because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not getting 6,000 listens per episode. You know what I mean? Within the first couple of seconds. But I mean, I do, I do it for the same, the same reason you do. It's just, it's, it's my way of giving things back. Like I, I, I have access to all these people. I have access to all this information and why shouldn't it be there for, for frogs? You know what I mean? Like there's like, there's a lot of information out there and you know, if I can be the one to cajole people to come in onto the show and sharing it, then, you know, that's just, that's just my way of, I mean, honestly, a lot of it also had to do with just, I, I wanted to know as much as I could because I felt like I didn't take it seriously for the longest time. And once I really made an, cause I, this is something I'd actually wanted to do for a long time, but like 2020 just made it a reality. And I just kept telling myself, you know, like you got a choice here. You can just, you can just do nothing for 2020 or you can, you know, you can go for it. You can go for, you can go for this goal that you had for yourself for years that you never really did anything with. So yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's just, I think it's great, man. It's there's, I've learned so much stuff from your podcast and I know so many others have learned from your podcast. Um, just, you've got some really, really good, you know, you, you know, what's great about it is it's like, you've got extremely experienced people with the, the hobby, um, that basically just come on here and open up and answer any questions that you have. And you have really good questions for them. And then you've got people that are not in the hobby, but in the scientific world that, you know, don't know anything about actually keeping the animals, but they know stuff that the keepers know nothing about. And it's just so interesting when both sides actually collide. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an unbelievable amount of information that's been provided through a hundred episodes, um, which is, which is awesome. And I think something that's, I mean, there's way more information in your podcast than all of YouTube. YouTube just has the videos. That's all. But as far as information is concerned, it's there's it's it's not even close how much more information is in this podcast than the entirety of YouTube's as far as dark frogs or amphibians in general. Well, thanks. That um, that that that's uh, means a lot to you say that. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Man. I mean, so. on, I I I. I I think about this stuff all the time because obviously it's it com- it occupies a tremendous amount of my time for a number of reasons but I I keep telling myself like not to get twisted over certain things like I'll I'll go on YouTube and you know look I, I don't like to be negative because I feel like there's really no reason for that but like there are some people who make frog content in in i'm even get open pandora's box but we'll just say dark frog content and i see these people making this making these videos and they don't know the first thing about what they're doing it's it's a book it's a book report it's like a 30 second book report with advice that you pulled off the information you pulled information off the internet or wherever and people are like asked like looking at this person 
as if this person is some sort of god when it comes to yep. fraud kids. And it's like, like, look, I, I understand people want to make a living, and I understand that people use YouTube to make a living. And, and, and deep down, people are, are passionate about the subject. I can understand that. But when I see a video that gets half a million views, which offers absolutely no information whatsoever, and people look to this person as being the expert, it bothers me because I feel like it's it's detrimental to, to the hobby. And it's really, I mean, look, I'm not doing this for fame. I, I don't want to be in people's faces. I don't want to be a celebrity. I'm just, I'm a regular guy with questions. That's all it is. People like to listen to my show and I'm thankful for that. But it's like, I mean, you got to be in the same thing. Like you see videos and it's like, oh, like, you know, check out my new dart frogs. And you look at it and it's like, <laughs> like you're not even getting the scientific names right. And, yep. you know, like, and, it. and it's like, I see people like, it's like, oh, you know, they're, they're just like Skittles. You know, what kind of like, can you do it? Can I get a blue one and put it with a red one? It's like, I, I, no. it's like, I, <laughs> I can, I can actually hear the IQ points going down. Yep. You know, and it just, yep. it, like, I don't normally air like personal grievances, but that, that really bothers me. You know, <laughs> it really, really like that was it like Peter Griffin says, like he grinds my gears. Yep. But you know, I, speaking of that real quick, um, I get a lot of people that, that'll ask me like, Hey, um, I really like your page. I like your frogs. Um, like on Instagram, like I'm curious, I want to purchase some, um, do you, you know, is it poss possible for me to, to add like the green ones in a tank and then also the blue ones in a tank? And I'm like, or they'll even say the blue ones or, and the yellow ones. I'm like, well, why don't you just get the ones that have all three colors in them? <laughs> There's ones that have green, blue, and yellow. Just get that one. Or especially when people are like, can I get the green and blue ones? I'm like, the green, like the green sips. And they're like, yeah, those and also the blue is yours. And I'm like, well, why don't you just get the green sips? Cause they have blue and green. Like you're getting both colors. Like why not? Why, why? And they're just like, well, I kind of wanted to get both. Like, well, that's frowned upon. Um, I would only sell you both if you showed me the two tanks that they were going to go into. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just something when people ask these questions, I just, I'm like, I, yeah. And you try, to, you try to be patient. Cause a lot of people, yep. it's, it's, you know, it's funny cause it's, it's easy to blame people for not knowing anything. I mean, it's, it's one thing to blame someone for like being a clown and like coming off as an expert when this person knows downright that, you know, he, she, whoever is not, is not an expert. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's another thing for someone who doesn't have any real experience coming in and not knowing anything other than what that person has seen in those videos. Exactly. So there's, there is no bar to set to it, but yeah, I don't know. One quick, one quick search of just mixing dark frogs would, would explain a lot where yeah. people wouldn't have to ask that question. Yeah. Like, that... Just go on Google and type in mixing dark frogs. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 a, you're a doomed once you, once you do that, but <laughs> quickly well. find out. But yeah. Well, we're, we're way over time, so I, I, I got to wrap this up, but like on, on a positive note, just, just cause I like to end on a positive note, despite the fact that I'm a pretty negative person. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I want to thank everybody again. I know I, I gave my long intro at the beginning, but like, just like for me to everybody else, it's, it's been a hundred episodes. It's been a real honor of being able to put this kind of content out and the reception that I've gotten from people in the community has been resoundingly positive. So, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, there was in the beginning, you know, I had to deal with a couple of challenges and whatnot, but you know what, look, a hundred, you know, 
two years later, I'm still here and I don't have any intention to go anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, look, thank you everyone for listening. It's been a blast. I, I mentioned I'm going to, I'm going to take a little break just to kind of regroup and, and I've, I've already got new episodes that have come out. So don't be panic, but, um, <laughs> you know, thanks everyone for, for, for listening. I, I never thought this would get as far as it did, but, and, you know, Troy, thank you for being, you know, I'm going to play like the Golden Girls theme now. Like, thank you for being, a <laughs> thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's always yeah. a blast on here. So, yeah, thanks. you know, anytime you ask me, I'm, I'm always down. I'm always ready. We'll do. We'll do. All right, everyone. Like I said, thank you so much for listening. I know this is just, you know, I, I want this episode to kind of just go and be real casual and, and, and fun for everybody. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, like I said, keep an eye out for some new stuff. I've, I've got I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up, so stay tuned. Like I said, it might take a week or two just to kind of regroup, and uh, during that time, check out some of the earlier episodes. There's 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 some episodes that haven't gotten quite uh, that many downloads, so um, I mean I, I'd make some recommendations, but I'd say maybe check out like the first twenty episodes. Um, you know, there's, there's an episode with Troy in there too. If you haven't caught that already. And, uh, you know, catch up. Other than that, enjoy yourselves. You know, catch up with you guys again real soon. All right, everybody. Thanks again.